Today's reading you'll find on page 1180 in the Bibles on your seats. It's Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Page 1180. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before and now say again, Even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Why don't we pray and then uh, let's, let's have a look at the scriptures together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the good giver of all good gifts. We thank you that you know what we need and what will make us flourish better than we know it ourselves. We thank you for the gifts of your word and of your spirit, your spirit who gives us life as we hear you speak. Please bring this passage to life in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you've probably all seen this World War I poster before. Um, It's it's of uh, Lord Kitchener, and it's probably one of the most famous recruitment posters ever. Um, I've been having some fun this week, 
and I've made my own version, if we could have that on screen. Um, I'm sorry, Rob, I couldn't quite resist. Uh, you know, I had to leave the moustache on there and everything. Um, but joking aside, if we'd started our time this morning together with Rob coming up and standing where I'm stood now and saying, um, we're doing a St. Mary's recruitment drive. We want people to serve. How would that, honestly, make you feel? Well, let's raise the stakes. If, how would you react if the Lord Jesus himself said to you, I want you to serve? That can feel quite hard to swallow, can't it? Maybe all of a sudden, Jesus feels right over here, and you feel right over there. He's, he's distant. You might hear the word serving and can't move beyond thinking it feels like a great deal of effort, like it's going to bring you trouble um, and difficulty. Perhaps you believe that any talk of being servants is a bit much um, or going a bit far with Christianity, or it might scare you. Maybe this is something just for the pros to do. Some of you are slightly begrudging all this serving talk already. You know, you'd much rather have come here this morning to hear about God's grace, how much he loves you, and to rest in that. Well, in today's passage, Paul wants to transform your entire vision of how you engage with life, freeing you from a world of resentment, touchiness, fear, and plain old grumpiness. Um, and instead, he wants you to, in, uh, to be invited into Jesus's world, a world rich with joy and love and hope. And these verses that we're going to study, they come against the backdrop of the vivid picture of Jesus that Paul writes in chapter 2. It's, it's a very famous passage. Lots of us probably know it. It's the drumbeat of the entire letter. It drives everything that Paul has to say to the Philippians. We sometimes do Paul a little bit dirty, actually. Uh, we often talk about how he's the lawyer who sort of layers logical argument upon argument. And he is that, but he's so much more than that. Um, flip back to chapter 2, verse 6, because it is poetry. Let me prove it to you. It's a love letter to the Lord Jesus. It paints the same picture of Christ as we saw last week in John, chapter 13. Look down at verse 6. Christ... Being in very nature God. He's the immortal, <laughs> cosmic words. He's the one who knew that his hour of glory was upon him. But precisely because he was in the form of God, he did not regard this divine equality as something to be used for his own advantage. All power was under his feet. So he made himself nothing. Remember? He took off his outer clothing and tied a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and took the very nature of a servant by washing his disciples' feet, those he loved to the end. And he humbled himself, stooping, obedient, even to death on a cross. The death on the cross, which, the nature of which he showed through how he washed his disciples' feet, a servant death, driven by love. And it's only with that picture of the Lord Jesus seared on our minds that we can begin to understand what Paul is starting to say in chapter 10 of, uh, verse 10 of chapter 3. Let me read it. It says, 
Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now that seems quite odd for something the Apostle Paul has to say, doesn't it? Because this is Paul, remember, who met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, Paul, who spent his entire life from that moment on telling other people about the good news of Jesus. Paul, who, as he writes this letter, is bound up in chains on account of following Jesus. So what's he getting at? What does he mean as he says he wants to know Christ? Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, being found in Christ, that idea that we, do you remember we looked at it at Equip a couple of weeks ago? Um, Paul wants to know Christ more deeply. He's already in him, but he wants to know him more deeply. Paul wants to go even more deeply in Christ. It's the climax of this love affair, that poem that he writes to, about Jesus in chapter 2. He, Paul wants an entire participation in Jesus' life. Paul gets to know the love of his life as he reenacts Jesus' life. He's bound up in Christ. Because what you're bound to it affects you in a huge way. Let me give you an example. Rupert has very kindly agreed to help me. Um, Rupert, if you could come on up, that'd be great. It's Six Nations time. I love the Six Nations. It's my favourite sports tournament. Um, and if you've watched it, uh, you might notice that they spend a lot of time scrummaging. So Rupert and I are going to have a scrum now. Rupert, if you take the position. I'm going to do what all they all do. I, I'm just going to join you in a second. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do what they all do at international level, and I'm going to bind on the arm. Um, because it's an even better way of binding. It's illegal. You're not meant to do it, but I'm going to do it now. Okay? And can you see how when you're bound to someone, it, you can move them any way you want. Um, it's quite easy. I'm not putting much effort in. Rupert can resist all he wants, so I can move him around. Thank you, Rupert, <laughs> for helping out. Um, but so do you see, a bit like that, being in Christ, being bound to him, it utterly reshapes and redirects Paul's life. Christ died a servant's death in love, and Christ rose again in glory. So Paul sees the beginning of his resurrection life in the crucifixion of Jesus. He believed the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for him. But now, Paul continues his resurrection life in the sufferings of Christ. Paul has been arrested for Jesus' sake. He's still in chains um, but he's still serving the, the guards and the, his fellow inmates uh, with the gospel. He's stooping down in servant love for the Philippians just by writing them this letter. Paul believed the gospel, but now he's becoming the gospel. Do you see? It's a life in verse 12 that screams, I'm Christ. He has made me his own. Paul wants to be who he already is in Jesus. He forgets his pride, the world's idea of boasting for glory, and is straining forward into this life of serving. It's not even something that the Apostle Paul feels like he's completed. Verse 13, he doesn't rest on his laurels. He embraces the fellowship of Christ's sufferings as the way of true glory. And so the normal Christian life repeatedly 
reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. Being in Christ is, is so much more than just an idea we believe, but it is a present reality. And so obeying Jesus' command to serve like he served, to share in his death, is what makes faith come alive in love. It's how the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in your life. And notice, it's not just being a servant in general. It's not just suffering in general. These things are only valuable to Paul because they draw him into Christ. And so Paul's goal in writing these verses is for us to reframe our stories in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants us to serve for our good. It's God's gracious gift. There's no space for lethargy. There's, there's no scope for retirement from serving in the Christian life, although it might be that, that it looks different over the course of, of many years. Paul wants us to become the gospel that we have believed. But there's an alternative life. In verse 18, uh, Paul is greatly pained that some people are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? Well, until relatively recently, I have read Paul's words here as if he means those who teach wrong doctrines about the cross. But no, it's those who are selfish, those who don't live like Jesus, those who don't have the same servant attitude of Jesus, those who have an earthly, appetite-led view of glory, not Jesus's heavenly servant-hearted view of glory. And so whether we're orthodox or unorthodox about the cross, it doesn't just depend on us having a correct theory about what happened when Jesus died, but on whether or not we are living out Jesus's cross-shaped life mapped out for us. If we aren't living that way, it means we haven't fully understood the crucifixion of Jesus. Or worse, we could be living as enemies of the cross of Christ, even while we think we're being really orthodox and soundly biblical in our understanding of Jesus' crucifixion. You know, you sometimes even hear people argue that Jesus isn't an example for us to follow. But it's not as though Jesus wasn't clear on this himself. In Luke 29, uh, 9, 23, he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, be like me. Die to yourself. Put others first. Love others at the expense of yourself. Serve every single day. Now, some of you have been sat here and you're getting a little bit nervous. Doesn't all this emphasis on doing stuff and serving sound like it undoes grace? Like it undermines the idea that, that we're justified, we're made right with God by faith. Well, you're, you're right, in a sense, to, to be worried, because it's true. If we focus purely on serving, if we only stress participating in Jesus' sufferings, and not on what his death and resurrection achieve for us, then we're going to go horribly wrong. We're going to slip into making everything about what we do. We'll create a system of rules that uh, we think will make us right with God, 
uh, or that we think achieve spiritual growth in and of themselves. That kind of thinking will leave us totally fragile. We'll so easily get crushed when we can't measure up. Justification by faith is absolutely foundational. But at the same time, we mustn't sell ourselves short of half a, with half a gospel. Justification by faith, it's not the end goal. The gospel, it is bad re- people realizing that they cannot be good. But at the same time, the gospel is bad people becoming good. Or to put it another way, serving in Jesus-shaped love, it's not just application, uh, as we often treat it, but it is a way of knowing Christ. Sometimes we talk as if, if knowing Christ should, it should just flow naturally from meditating and resting on the gospel. But do you see, that's, that's not what Paul thinks. And we just need to recognize that the tension we feel isn't a tension. It just, we simply don't see it in the Bible. Uh, for Jesus, these two ideas, they're two sides of the same coin. He talks about them in the, in the same breath. Let me read out verse 14 of the passage we had last week in John's Gospel. Jesus said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. See, so the foundation is there, isn't it? It's all about what he has done for us, first and foremost. Now that I've washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. We are to become the gospel that we have received and believed. And it's the same for Paul. Um, If you're still in in, uh, Philippians chapter 3, glance back at verse 9 of chapter 3 that we didn't have read out. Paul wants to be found in Christ. He wants to be in Christ by faith. He's gone to lengths to say um, that he considers all his attempts at saving himself were rubbish. But at the same time, in the same breath, in verse 10, Paul wants to know Christ by sharing in his suffering. We should not mute, not even by one jot, our emphasis on the cross. But still, we need to rediscover what Paul lived and inhabited, the power of Jesus' resurrection. And can you feel the momentum of, of just what Jesus is saying in this passage? He's not dabbling around and sort of playing on the edges of love. He's moved to the very center. There's no give it a try or do your best. No qualifying asides or caveats. Um, no, he gives a cascade of pleas to try and allure the Philippians into this symphony of serving love. Look down with me. Press on towards the goal, verse 12. That for which Christ has taken hold of you. In other words, keep moving. Keep moving towards becoming more like Christ. Strain, verse 13. Press on, verse 14. Live up to what we have already attained, verse 16. In other words, be who you already are in Christ. Join with others. Follow Paul's example and pattern, verse 17, the pattern he himself received from Jesus. You belong to heaven, verse 20, and so you need to be fitted for living there, verse 21. And so, 4 verse 1, stand firm in this way. It all has that feel of a rallying cry to soldiers, doesn't it? Uh, Be determined, no retreat, 
No surrender, no matter what the forces of the enemy throw at you. And the great news is that Paul is yearning for and urging people into the perfection and the beauty of a Jesus-shaped life. To live is Christ. And so the question is this. Will you embrace serving? Will you embrace serving as an invitation to be drawn deeper into the heart of Christ? I want to introduce you to a brother of ours who just got this. Uh, This on the screen is Reg. Um, I had the joy of knowing him at my old church down in Plymouth. Um, He grew up in a small town in Cornwall um, and became a Christian at a Billy Graham crusade, actually. Um, When we met, he was about 92 years old. Um, He had just retired from working in China from the mission organization, OMF. And a few years later, um, this this was us recording a video of his testimony. Um, A few years later after that, he went to be with the Lord. But Reg, he he was just great at telling stories. He'd seen and he'd done lots worth retelling, frankly. But one of the stories that will always stick with me was when one September, you know, you're sort of catching up with people after the summer, I asked what he'd been up to. And Reg, he'd just got back from his old hometown doing a beach mission, which apparently he'd managed to keep up even while he was serving overseas year after year. He said, every morning I'd set off early from the centre that we were staying at at the top of the hill um, and walk down the hill to the beach. I'm sort of 94, you know, it takes me a bit longer than everybody else. Um, I need to take a breather when I'm done. I've got, you know, a bad hip and a bad knee that needs a bit of a breather. But then I chip in with the talk and the drama. Um, I don't really like getting pies shoved in my face and all that sort of thing. (laughs) But I let them do it because it helps people engage with the gospel and hear the good news about Jesus. Um, And then I make my way back up the hill. Everyone else overtakes me. And, uh, you know, that's a bit of an ordeal too. Now there is a bloke who has become the gospel he believes in. Reg knew the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Now, wouldn't an entire church family living with this mindset, with a real zeal for reenacting the, the dying and rising of Jesus um, as they serve one another, wouldn't that be beautiful? Next week, we'll be thinking through a bit more what this looks like as it spills over into a body of believers. So come back next week and we'll think more about that. But it starts with you. As you realize Christ's story is your story. As you realize that, you begin to look around differently. You see the children and youth ministries. You hear that request for somebody to be up for leading the next Bible study at home group. You see that person needing prayer at the end of the service as the rest of us are all chatting. You hear of that family who needs some shopping drop rounds. Resist the urge to think that praying requires a specialist. Resist that urge to think that somebody else should consider serving in the youth ministry. Instead, embrace serving as an invitation into the heart of Christ. It will be work. It will be messy. You will make mistakes. It will feel overwhelming. 
You're busy and you don't know what you're doing, um, but you can at least take a first step towards a person, can't you? You're going to try and love this brother or sister that is in your life. As you're doing it, pray. Say to God, I don't know how to love this person. Um, Just give me the grace to go over and introduce myself and listen to them. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. And as you're going and as you keep praying, lean on the Spirit of Jesus. Because he knows the way to stoop down and serve. Before long, you'll realize that your heart is is going out to this this person or this group of people that that, that you're serving because you've prayed for them. You no longer care if you have messed up because you've stopped thinking about yourself. You've entered Jesus' world of serving in love. Remember, this isn't a bolt-on to being a follower of Jesus. It is the normal, everyday Christian life. It's for your good. You'll be blessed if you do these things. It's for your glory. It's for God's glory. Don't miss out. Don't live as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Have some ambition at the sheer scope of the Christian life, of serving, a life of sharing in Jesus' sufferings and attaining to his resurrection. Serve. Be who you already are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, help our love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight as we share in Jesus' sufferings. Help us not to miss out on being pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So help us to embrace serving. Help us be who we are in Christ, mature and filled with Christ's righteousness as we serve like him for your glory and praise. Amen.